Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. We interrupt your usual stream of DP Show content to bring you a special episode of a new podcast on the Dan Patrick Show Network. It's called Westward. Westward chronicles the history of basketball in the NBA and how the city of Los Angeles not only saved the fledgling league by bringing the Lakers from Minneapolis, but gave birth to the modern NBA with Showtime. Told through the lens of the great Jerry West, who helped build the dynasty of the Lakers, Westward now follows the former Hall of Famer as he attempts to build a dynasty with L.A.'s other NBA team, the Clippers. Narrators are Keith David, Tim Livingston, Bobby Glanton Smith. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, I'm sports journalist Tim Livingston. And I am Bobby Glanton Smith. Westward is a podcast about the birth of professional basketball in Los Angeles and how the Lakers and Clippers have become one of the most compelling and complicated rivalries in sports. It's told through the man who has been at the center of both, the great Jerry West. But Westward is also the story of why the city of Los Angeles has had such an effect on the game and more importantly, its influence on American culture. From Elgin Baylor to Kobe, from the Buffalo Braves to the LA Clippers. This is Westward. Westward is a production of the Dan Patrick Podcast Network and iHeartRadio. Episode one, Jerry West, The Phantom Threat.
American culture has always been inextricably linked to the sports it has loved. And for over a century, the sport it loved most was baseball. Filled with sentimentality and passed down from fathers to sons, the game represented America's heart. Today, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. If baseball represented the birth of the American sport, the game of football was its baptism. Although team-oriented, the game was about power, and it was violent. Baseball may have been in our blood, but it was in the game of football where Americans found their spirit. However, by the end of the 20th century, another American sport would come of age. Unlike the two other major sports, which were firmly rooted in East Coast acculturation, rich in American myth and lore, the game of basketball has always been regional. New York basketball is different than Indiana basketball. James Naismith invented the game in Massachusetts, but don't tell that to Kansas or Kentucky. Every region has its own way of playing, its own quirks, its own style, and that's what makes the game great. No other sport allows for that kind of expression. Basketball games can resemble ballet or resemble boxing. Just depends on where the game is taking place. No longer regional, the game of basketball now belongs to the world. And right now, the center of the basketball world is in downtown Los Angeles, where a battle for supremacy is taking place between the two NBA teams that call this home. As franchises go, the two Los Angeles teams could not be more different. One has won the NBA's Western Conference 30 times, taken home 16 world championships, boasted 27 Hall of Famers, and has retired nine jersey numbers. The other is the Los Angeles Clippers. The Clippers could not only be the worst franchise in professional basketball, but in all professional sports. It is an organization whose former owner had to be forcibly removed and boasts the league's all-time lowest winning percentage. The Clippers have never been to a Western Conference Final, have never had a Hall of Fame player, nor have ever retired a former player's number. But for the first time in the organization's history, LA's other team isn't showing a heartbeat. It's showing a clenched fist. Because if the Staples Center represents the center of the basketball world, then the center of that center is the man who helped build the dynasty of one and is now responsible for building the one to topple it. Jerome Allen West. And can we get one more soundbite just for context for the audience? Can you just say, my name is Jerry West, and um, and that's up to you how you'd want to describe yourself. My name is Jerry West. And just describe yourself for the audience as quickly or as verbosely as you want. Describe myself to the audience? I'm an old motherfucker. <laughs> okay, here's... Uh, okay, I, I mean, I don't know how to talk about myself, guys. I don't. Okay. Hey, it can just be your title for the Clippers. I know we can't. <laughs> fuck it. Oh, you can't. Well, yes, we fuck can. It. it helps raise the fuck it. Hey. Okay. Do you, man? Do um, you? Hi, I'm Jerry West. Longtime basketball player, longtime executive. Very proud of my association with the Los Angeles Lakers for numerous years. 
and now I'm with the Los Angeles Clippers working for Steve Ballmer, who hopes to change the landscape of basketball in Los Angeles. It's perfect. Man, that's a wrap. Let's get a couple quick photos right quick. Come on, Paul. I'm not taking any fucking pictures of you, man. <laughs> well, obviously to me, I don't think I'm the Lakers' favorite person anymore. I don't know why, but I'm not. This is not about the Clippers unrooting the Lakers from their pedestal. That will never happen. The historical greatness of the Lakers for years has been remarkable. But for seven straight years, the Clippers had the best team in Los Angeles. What I'm watching, and I always try to be objective, I don't try to because I like one team better than the other. Clipper fans will never be Laker fans, and Laker fans are never going to be Clipper fans. Jerry West loves basketball, and it has been the better part of his life for 70 years. But the underlying and defining characteristic of that love and the singular driving force that he believes is the cornerstone of every business, hobby, and pastime in Americana is competition. And this is a force that has possessed Jerry West for his entire life. I fucking hate losing. I hate giving in to people who think they're smarter than other people. Life is about competition. The most competitive people play the most competitive game. If you're not going to be competitive, don't do it. As perceptions go, Jerry West isn't your prototypical Los Angelino. Born and raised in Kanawha County, West Virginia, he's straight-laced, modestly dressed, and quiet. But a closer look at the man and the city that has adopted him reveals that his spirit and drive are as much a part of Los Angeles as Hollywood itself. Jerry West has always been enigmatic because of his background. He was raised in an abusive household. Moreover, he's a white dude who excelled at a black sport. He grew up in the country. Now he lives in Los Angeles. And in a way, L.A. is really a city for outsiders, which is why he has been so revered and embraced in the city of angels. You know, I think in my life, and I can explain to you folks better, I grew up like a dog, very much like a lot of people I played with. You almost feel disenfranchised. Self-worth is always a big issue, a huge issue. And you grow up feeling like, you know, fuck, I'm going to get hit today. And whatever, I've done nothing wrong. And in your own home, a home is supposed to be a place when you're growing up, a place where you feel safe, you're hoping for some guidance and encouragement. Well, I never saw that in my life, okay? So I've been defiant all my life, probably have never changed. Having spent the first 40 years of his career as a Laker and the last three as a Clipper, Jerry West has become an icon for fans of both and a personification of the phantom thread that runs through this city and the sport it loves. One that includes both the old and the new. One that has managed to bind both style and substance. And one that has weaved the tapestry responsible for the seismic shift in sports and culture from the East Coast to Los Angeles. I was born in L.A. in 1986, at the height of the Showtime era. This is a basketball town but it's not a basketball town without Jerry West. 
The Clippers and Lakers play in the same building, but they were never rivals. The Lakers were the class of the league. The Clippers were a laughingstock. But now that Jerry West is with the Clippers, building a contender not only has it become a rivalry, now it's personal. And if you talk to some fans like comedian George Lopez, it's more than personal. It's blood. It's almost like, you know, if you ever have a stepbrother, he's not a full brother, he's your stepbrother. So when your mom's saying like, you know, make peace with your brother, you always remind us, that's stepbrother, it's about his stepbrother. But, you know, coming to Los Angeles and then coming into Staples Center and covering our championship banners with posters of their players is it's unfathomable to me that we would allow even that to happen because in no other arena does that happen. And, you know, in Hollywood, you would figure, you know, these guys probably went there and said, you know, when we're playing, you know, we don't want to look up there and see 16 banners and retired numbers. And, you know, I say fucking play better. (laughs) And Jerry West, you know, being a Laker and being brilliant mind as a general manager helped us in that. And I thought that he should have stayed our general manager forever. Almost like, you know, almost like being a Supreme Court justice. Like you're in, man, like you're in. Because he's put together great teams everywhere that he's gone. And he's like, fuck it, with the Clippers? I will not go to a Clipper game. I wouldn't go to, uh, if Jack Nicholson went to a Clipper game, I would probably go to the highest point of this house and jump off. While they have never been rivals on the basketball court, the two teams' presence in Los Angeles has come to symbolize a deeper social rift that has divided Los Angelinos since the Clippers arrived in 1984. Hollywood writer and avid Clipper fan Chris Lloyd has seen his work garner more Emmys than any writer in the history of television. And the Emmy goes to Modern Family. And Modern Family wins Best Comedy for a fourth time in a row. But he's never seen his favorite NBA team compete for a championship. Most people who live in Los Angeles aren't from here. They're from somewhere else. My family moved to California when I was a teenager. I was a lifelong basketball fan, grew up a Knicks fan. I was a Laker fan in the early, mid-70s, even before Showtime. Remember NBA Finals being shown on tape delay. I mean, the NBA was not at all the juggernaut it is today. But I lived back east for a while. So right into adulthood, I, I came to see the character of teams a little bit more, I think. So you come here, you got a choice of who you can be a fan of. You can be a fan of Lakers, you can be a fan of the Clippers. So if you're coming here and you have a choice to go with the Diane Cannon, Jack Nicholson, Laker girl, like no one would blame you. Who would ever be a fan of the Clippers? They're terrible. They're not just terrible every year. They start terrible. They come in with just a whiff of terrible. For the prolific writer and creator, becoming a full-time Clipper fan was an evolution. I did for a while have seats to both teams, and then I sort of gradually shed my Laker affiliation and became a full-time Clipper fan, season ticket holder. I have been now for about 25 years. If you asked me why I stopped being a Laker fan, because of the asshole with the rolled-up program. He emblematizes the Laker fandom and the Laker aura to me. He sits courtside, and every game he comes with a rolled-up program in his hand, and he spends half the game on his feet banging that program against his hand. Now, why would a guy need a trademark? Because you want people to pay attention to you and not the players. And that's to me, is half of the Laker crap. 
they come to be seen, they come to do little things or check their phones. Or I mean, the Clipper fans, they're still like wiping the grease off their hands because they were mechanics during the day or whatever. So I think I found myself going like, I think I want to be in the seats with those people, the people that are going to root for that awful team. We don't come with a program rolled up to draw attention to ourselves. We come to see the team on the floor. It is early July 2019, and the mood at the Staples Center is tense. The NBA's free agent season is in full swing. This off-season's crop of free agents is said to be one of the best ever, highlighted by two of the game's top players. But in today's NBA, it's not enough for a franchise to win over just one of them. To win a championship, a team has to have at least two. You start the Lakers in 2000 with Shaq and Kobe. There has been a couple of anomalies, but for the most part, if you look at the Warriors, the Lakers, the Celtics, the Heat, and even the Cavs with Kyrie and LeBron, most teams have at least two star players. And I think if you look at the NBA today in 2020, it really started with the Miami Heat. It was LeBron, Chris Bosh, and Dwayne Wade, three buddies, all deciding to link up in Miami. Star players today, they all know each other. They all play together in the summer. They're all part of USA Basketball, all-star teams. It's a fraternity, and they want to play together. Having signed the game's preeminent superstar, LeBron James, just a year earlier, the Los Angeles Lakers already have won. And in one of the worst-kept secrets in league history, they have already snatched up one of the players at the top of the new list, Anthony Davis, before the offseason had even begun. But the crown jewel of the free agent class is two-time NBA Finals MVP, Kawhi Leonard. Your 2019 Bill Russell Finals MVP is Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi might be the NBA's last great mystery. Clippers, Lakers, Nets, Knicks, and the Raptors, those are the five teams that will be involved in the Kawhi Leonard sweepstakes. When it comes to Kawhi, it's so close to the best. Front offices throughout the league are working furiously in an attempt to change their team's destiny through buying, selling, or trading. The Clippers are trying to do all three, but the odds are not in their favor. Crispers are just flat out wrote Clippers out. What I'm 99% hearing is that Kawhi Leonard will be returning to Toronto. But this being Los Angeles, there's a plot twist. You are listening to Westward on the Dan Patrick Podcast Network. We'll be right back. A year ago, Paul George is standing on a stage in Oklahoma City, and he's telling a crowd of people that he's here to stay. And a year later, he's requesting a trade. Another superstar is thrown into the mix. And as a matter of course meeting destiny, both players grew up in Los Angeles and have expressed interest in coming home. Superstars returning to their home may have been popularized by LeBron James, but there's one thing that superstars like more than returning home, and that's to play with other superstars. And the Clippers don't have any. Clippers never going to steal L.A., let me make that very clear. Why in the world would you want to go to the Clippers? And just two years ago, the notion that any player in the league would choose the Clippers over the Lakers was an absurdity. The thing that sucks most about being the Clippers is that they're in the same office building. Think about the New England Patriots sharing an office building with the Cleveland Browns, right? But now there's something within the organization that wasn't ever there before. 
and it's the thing that gives the Clipper faithful hope. And what's that? Jerry West. Well, I didn't know what to expect when I first met Mr. Bomber. I had breakfast with him, and we were talking, and he asked a bunch of questions. You know, you try to get a feel for who you're dealing with, and he'd ask me questions about what I thought. I said, you're going to have to build your own image of what you want with the Clippers. And then we had another meeting, and I got a call from him that afternoon. He wanted me to be involved with them, and I started thinking about it. I knew Doc Rivers, the coach, and I've always liked him, cared about him. All of a sudden, I said, well, this might be fun. It's been said that home is where the hatred is. And when Jerry West returned to Los Angeles and set up shop in the Clippers locker room, the city turned upside down. It wasn't a rivalry before the logo returned. But to understand what it really means and how it came to this, you first have to study the history of Los Angeles and its relationship to sports and entertainment and how the game of basketball evolved in the city of Angels. Basketball may not have been created in Los Angeles, but a strong argument can be made that it did create the fertile soil in which the modern NBA would take root. And though the city may be known for Hollywood, beneath its odd amalgam of hip-hop and surf cultures, Industry and progressive ideas lies a sports town, says NPR essayist and Los Angeles historian D.J. Waldy. When people look at Los Angeles region from outside, and most of the interpreters of Los Angeles for most of its history have been outsiders, they often only see Hollywood. And they make the mistake of thinking that Los Angeles is Hollywood, or Hollywood is Los Angeles. And that's simply not true. Los Angeles was always a sports town, just in a different way. Because for most of the history of Los Angeles, what a sports town meant was you had a major league baseball team. We didn't have a major league baseball team, therefore we weren't a sports-minded town. College university sports were much of the game for much of the 20th century. It took a while for Angelinos to shift their loyalties from the college teams they followed to the professional teams. The city of Los Angeles had already cultivated a deep and abiding love with basketball, due in large part to an innovation that could have only come from Los Angeles. One of the characteristics of Southern California in the post-war period was an explosion of innovation. It was taking materials and processes that had been developed during the war years to make things for the war effort and turning those war industries and war materials into new products. One such product came from the Voigt Rubber Company on Harbor Boulevard, and it would change the game of basketball. It's an amazing story. What it's about is taking an industrial product and transforming what had been a kind of elite sport using a lot of handcrafted materials and turning that into something that kids played on the apron of their parents' driveway. And we're talking about the development of the inexpensive synthetic material basketball, which became something every kid, certainly every boy, in every Lakewood house in the late 1950s had. And everyone played some kind of pickup game in the driveway with a hoop bolted to the front of the garage. One can see how talent would arise from that explosion of participation. The invention was an accidental civil rights triumph 
Until the creation of the Voigt, basketball could only be played indoors, and the cost of a basketball was the equivalent of over $200. The price of the new Voigt was under a dollar. The invention of the Voigt basketball became a gateway for people like me in poor neighborhoods around the United States. Voight had made it financially feasible for kids like me around the nation to have a ball that was attainable. Suddenly, all throughout Los Angeles, from the driveways of South Central to the cul-de-sacs of suburban Culver City, and all the way to Venice Beach, basketball rims started sprouting up like the palm trees along San Vicente. So you had all these elements. You had Hollywood, you had a love of basketball, you had a rabid fan base. So you had all these sports fans, but there was no one professional team in Los Angeles that really captured the identity of the city. The Dodgers, they're from Brooklyn. The Rams, they came and then they left. The Angels, they came and then they left. Fans are competitive and big cities don't just want teams, they want teams that reflect who they are, right? Pittsburgh, the Steel Curtain, Philadelphia, Broad Street Bullies, Cincinnati, the Big Red Machine, LA sports fans wanted that. They were starving for that. And then, as if it was written in Hollywood itself, the Lakers literally fell from the sky. Long before they would fall from the sky, the team that would ultimately become the Lakers were the Detroit Gems. The Detroit Gems probably should have become the LA Clippers because they were the worst team to ever play professional basketball. They played their home games at a high school on the city's southwest side. Their best player averaged nine points a game, and they went 1-27 in their final year in 1947. But despite this, the team drew the attention of a pair of businessmen from Minnesota named Ben Berger and Maurice Chapman, who wanted to bring the team to Minneapolis and offer to buy the Gems. To avoid the association with the Gems' failure, the new owners would rename the team to honor Minnesota and its land of 10,000 lakes. And on November 3, 1949, the Minneapolis Lakers were born. And where do you look to find the world's greatest basketball team? Well, look for the land of 10,000 lakes. On any given day during his boyhood summers of 1957, a young Brian Short would walk out of the house he shared with his six brothers and sisters, and there, grazing in his front yard of the Short family home in Edina, Minnesota, were a small herd of Shetland ponies. The animals were yet another inexplicable purchase by their wealthy father, who bought them as part of an even larger inexplicable purchase, the Minneapolis Lakers. My dad was a promoter, if nothing else, and he was always trying to figure out ways to get people to come, and one of his many contests was the drawing for a Shetland pony at a Lakers game. And he thought that would be great because what kid didn't want a pony? And my dad figured if he could get the kids to want to come, the parents would have to come and life would be good. And so every time he ran that promotion, we ended up with a pony at our house. As a matter of fact, some kid living in the city would be hard-pressed to find a place to put the damn pony. Bob Short may have enjoyed promotion, but the business in which he made his money was transportation. And though it may have been difficult to bring fans to home games, a far greater problem was getting his Lakers to away games. I know this is hard for us to understand, especially for you guys, I bet. It was kind of the westernmost part of the United States almost. 
My dad was always an aviation guy, frankly. Uh, you know, he served on an aircraft carrier in the war and business. So he's always open to aviation as a form of transportation. Bob Short then bought a fixed-wing propeller-driven DC-3 through a company called Gopher Aviation that had been built in the 1930s. The plane was so old, in fact, that some of the employees who worked for Gopher Aviation were actually taught by the Wright brothers. This is what fell from the sky. It was Saturday night, January 18, 1960, and Bob Short's Minneapolis Lakers were on the tarmac of Lambert Field in St. Louis, Missouri, waiting for takeoff. In the middle of a dismal season in which they would finish 21 games out of first place, they had just lost their fifth game in a row to the St. Louis Hawks and wanted to go home. But there was a problem. And here's the latest weather report. Rain changing to snow. What had originally been forecast as light rain was now being described as an ice storm. 97-year-old Harold Gifford, the team plane's pilot, remembers the night well. The weather was not too good. Temperatures were dropping. I had filed a flight plan. And we loaded up right at 8 o'clock. We took off. Headed for Minneapolis. Less than five minutes into the flight, the plane lost power. Right after gear up, the lights, they went bright and dim and out. The only indication I had was a couple of the look meters and they both registered zeros. And I knew we were in trouble. Fortunately for those aboard, Harold Gifford, the former World War II pilot, had been accustomed to flying in trouble. By 9 p.m. that night, word had already reached Bob Short in Minnesota that his team was in trouble. That evening, and my mother was pretty strict, but before I went to bed, I remember there was a lot of tension in the house. Dad was running around, he was a big phone guy, he was talking on the phone all the time, he, but, you know, a lot of tension. I don't think I understood the significance of it at the time, because I'm nine years old, right? But these were all people that he knew, all friends. You know, he considered the players friends. Unable to ascend above the storm or navigate around the storm, pilot Harold Gifford was left with only one option. We're going to try to go through it. So I followed the North Star initially, and now we've headed north on our main compass. And so now we're faced with a problem. I said, I think we'd better consider going down to find the visual contact with the ground, because if we run out of fuel, when we're at 4,000 in the truck, we're dead. You are listening to Westward on the Dan Patrick Podcast Network. We'll be right back. The ground below was barely visible through the blizzard and had been covered by the torrent of sleet, columns of snow, and insurance policies. All players of that era didn't make anywhere near enough money playing as a basketball player to survive. So they all had off-season jobs. 
And I'm pretty sure Dick Geimakers was as a life insurance salesman or some kind of insurance. And so they know they've lost all electrical power. They don't know how they're going to land. They're all convinced they're going to die. Garmaker walks up and down the aisle of the airplane selling insurance and filling out the form. And the plan was they knew the plane was going to crash and burn on impact. So they had to take these little scraps of paper and throw them out the window. Hopefully somebody would find them, and then they would find that player A or player B had life insurance. The company would have to pay on the insurance. While some of the players dropped their signed policies to the ground below, others, along with their pilot Harold Gifford, sought out a higher insurance policy. Prayers sent above. I kind of uttered a prayer. So if anybody is watching us, we sure could use some help. <laughs> Wouldn't you believe here comes Highway 71? So I see a lighted Ham's beer sign on the side, and I knew that we had to be close to Minnesota. As we circled this town, I noticed on the edge of town a cornfield. The scene of an ice-covered Midwestern earth and the impending collision of what came from the sky was an eerie reminder of what had happened less than a year prior when the red Beechcraft B-35 carrying three of rock and roll's biggest stars slammed into another frozen cornfield in Clear Lake, Iowa, less than a hundred miles away. We interrupt this program for a special news bulletin. Three young singers who soared to the heights of show business on the current rock and roll craze were killed today in the crash of a light plane in an Iowa snow flurry. The singers were identified as Richie Ballin, 17, Buddy Holly, 22, and J.P. Richardson, known professionally as the Big Bopper. That was probably the last thing in my mind. The first thing in my mind is how am I going to get this airplane safely onto the ground? But it had most certainly been on the minds of dozens of locals who had lived in the wake of that tragedy many of whom poured out of their homes at 1.10 a.m. after hearing local station KCIM's clarion call, including the family of Eric Neiswanger. Everyone was awakened with the loud engines of the DC-3 plane buzzing the town about nine times. Many jumped into their cars to help guide the way. I've heard many of the proud stories from my parents and the city forefathers. Iowans are very caring people, and with the history of Buddy Holly's plane crash only 11 months earlier in the snow, no one wanted to have another tragedy like the day the music died. Nobody wanted to have that happen again. Not much as we touched down, I could hear the corn hit the belly of the airplane. And as soon as I shut the engines, you never heard such loud screaming and hollering. And the first responders are coming from the road nearby. And they hear all this hollering, and they think this is going to be terrible. Pollard is picked up by a hearse, and the guy said, I thought we were going to have some business tonight. We had a guy, a little bit of a drinking problem, but he called his wife and told her, and she hung up on him. She said, give me a call when you sober up. One of the players who knows the story of the plane's unscheduled landing, but was not on the flight, is Jerry West. A lot of people thought I was in it. I was not. Of course, I was aware of the story because I was with them the next year. <laughs> they were talking about these guys were making promises they'd never drink again, they'd never do this, they're going to go to church every day. I don't think all those promises were kept because I saw a bunch of guys who drank a lot when I got there. <laughs> if that plane crashes, not only does the entire team die, the NBA most likely dies with it. 
and had nothing happened, they stay in Minneapolis and go bankrupt with the rest of the league. It was the incident that pushed the team to LA and forever changed the history of professional basketball. As a coda to the event, in 2010, the Laker organization donated $25,000 to the Carroll Chamber of Commerce for the construction of an outdoor court in honor of the team and the city's unexpected connection on that snowy night in January of 1960. Now, outside Carroll, in the midst of these rural farmlands, half cyclone, half Hawkeye country, a basketball court can be found just feet from where the team's airplane successfully landed. Perhaps in any other place, the bright purple and gold floor located in the middle of nowhere would stand out as one of the many oddities checkered throughout the Midwest. But here, it doesn't. 2,000 miles away in Los Angeles, late Friday night on July 5th. Just minutes ago, our Adrian Wojnarowski reporting that Kawhi Leonard is going to join the Clippers. The Clippers have also made a deal to acquire Paul George from the Oklahoma City Thunder. Stunned, stunned to say the least. Jerry West this weekend ran the NBA. He's 81. Kawhi Leonard got a phone call from Cool Magic. Not interested. Got a phone call from LeBron. Not interested. Yet he went to dinner with 81-year-old Jerry West at a steakhouse, sat across from him and said, I like you. But at a high school gym in South Central Los Angeles, professional basketball's most accomplished executive, Jerry West, can be found doing what he does best, teach. You stop and do that. I'm right on board, right? What makes Jerry so special is Jerry truly cares about people first. And right behind that is his furious, competitive nature. The man got to win. It's just in his DNA. And I have no doubt that this team he's put together is going to come out on top in this battle for LA. Jerry West is from the rugged foothills of Kanawha County, West Virginia. He is 82 years old and is white. The prospect he teaches is from the streets of South Central California, is 22 years old, and is black. Watching the younger wrapped in attention and the older honored to pass along his wisdom, both bound by their mutual love of the game, one comes to understand that while baseball may be in the American heart and football may be in the American spirit, it is the game of basketball that occupies the American soul. And for that reason, just for now, the Battle of Los Angeles will have to wait. Next time on Westward. Just months after he had nearly lost his entire team to a plane crash in Carroll, Iowa, Bob Short formally asked permission from NBA owners to relocate his Laker team to Los Angeles. In a resounding, unanimous vote of 7-0, to the NBA said no. Long before there was a battle for L.A., there was a battle to L.A. At the time, owners were preoccupied with just surviving. So that meant constantly moving to bigger markets. But it wasn't actually the move that saved the Lakers. It was something else. There had been word of a legend from the streets of Washington, D.C. A local athlete whose ability was almost mythic. They called him 
rabbit. Elgin Baylor was a magician on the court. If he was playing today, I mean, people talked about him and Michael Jordan and Michael Jordan's early day. I was a pretty good athlete. You know, I could play all sports. My mother talked about, you know, playing football. And, you know, she said, no, you're not going to do something like that. So it's said, basketball, if you want to play, play basketball. Elgin Baylor literally saved the franchise. The revolution is not always televised. And the act of courage and the willingness to sacrifice many times is not publicized. What Elgin Baylor did is one of the most significant stories yet to be told. Westward is a production of the Dan Patrick Podcast Network, Joy Road Entertainment, and iHeartRadio. In association with Workhouse Media and Sugar 23. Executive produced by Paul Anderson and Nick Pinella for Workhouse Media, and by Michael Sugar and Mike Mayer for Sugar 23. Joy Road Entertainment is P.G. Cuscieri, Jim Young, Matthew Hatchett, Bobby Glantone-Smith, and Tim Livingston. Produced by Casey Whalen and edited by Charlie Magdaleno at Whalen Productions. Westward is narrated by Emmy Award winner Keith David. Producers would like to thank Chris Lloyd, George Lopez, Harold Gifford, and NPR's DJ Waldy for their contributions. Our most sincere gratitude also goes to the family of Bob Short, Eric Nicewanger, and the good people of Carroll, Iowa. And of course, the great Jerry West. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Embrace a new year with a new style of whiskey, Keeper's Heart Irish American Whiskey. Crafted by a legendary Irish distiller, a unique blend of smooth Irish whiskey, bold American whiskey that has garnered over 130 awards in just two short years. Whether crafting St. Patty's Day cocktails or finding the perfect gift for the occasions like Mother's Day, Keeper's Heart, perfect choice. Personalize a label for free on their website. Use the code DAN24 for $10 off your order at KeepersHeartWhiskey.com. Athletes everywhere turn to CBD for relief and recovery, but with all the products claiming to do different things, it's impossible to decide which is best. As one of few brands that oversees the entire production process, from their farm in Oregon to the product that arrives at your door, Lazarus Naturals keeps their ingredients simple and transparent. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results for your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Discover how CBD can help you reach your full potential as an athlete. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, the cleanest source of CBD for athletes and sports fans alike. 
This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota. Let's go places.